Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. If you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. So we are right in the middle of a five-week series called Amazing Encounters. And today we're going to be talking about uh, Encounter on the Water. And so if you've been in church a long time, you've heard about that guy who uh, was sitting at his house and they said that the, the rain is coming and a flood is on its way. And so the sheriff came by and knocked on his door and and said, look, uh, we need to get you out of here. And he said, you know what, don't worry about me. I'm praying, and God is going to deliver me. And she said, really, you know, just come get in the truck, and we'll get you, we'll get you home or, or to a safe place. And he said, no, God's got this. And so uh, it rained, and the flood came, and, and the flood entered his house. And so he goes up to the, the second story and about that time, um, a boat with a siren and a big floodlight uh, comes by and a big bullhorn. And, and he's looking out one of his uh, windows and he raises it. And it's the sheriff again. And this time, he uh, has the boat and he's there. He says, look, you know, get in the boat with me. It, it's time for you to go to safety. And he says, don't worry about me. I'm praying God's going to deliver me. So, you know, go take care of somebody else. And reluctantly, the sheriff left. And so a few hours later, he's on the very roof of his house. He, there's no place else to go. It, the flood is amazing in its uh, ferocity. And here comes the sheriff in a helicopter in a big bullhorn, and he's shouting down. He says, look, I'm throwing you a rope. Hang on to this uh, uh, ladder and climb up to safety. And he says, God's going to take care of me. You know, go help somebody else. And, well, you know the story. The guy dies. And uh, he gets to heaven, and he's kind of upset. You know, and I don't know if you can get upset when you get to heaven, but this guy was. And so, uh, you know, he, he told St. Peter, he says, look, you know, he says, I don't understand. He says, I'm a man of faith, and I believe that God was going to deliver me from this flood. And, and Peter said, well, you know, God sent you uh, help three times, and, and you sent it away. Well, that's the kind of, uh, not that encounter on the water that I want to share with you. But if you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew Chapter 14, I want to share with you another encounter on the water. In verse uh, 22, it says this. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, if you read earlier in chapter 14, you'll know that Jesus had just uh, fed the 5,000. Not only did he feed the 5,000, but he had just been spending the entire day healing the sick that were brought to him. It says all that were brought to him were healed. So this has been quite a day for Jesus. And here they are at the end of it. The, the 5,000 have been fed. Jesus puts the disciples in a boat, and he tells them to go to the other side, and I'll meet you over there. And I'm going to dismiss the crowd. And so that's what he's doing in verse 23. It says, after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray even 
uh, said, when evening came, he was there alone. You know, um, I think one of the lessons that we can draw from this that Jesus wants us all to understand is this. And that is how to face our joys and challenges of life. And this is the way that we face both our joys and our challenges, and that is to spend time alone with God. You see, I shared with you the joys that were going on that day. Many um, hundreds probably were healed by Jesus. Thousands, we know, were fed miraculously by Jesus. But what you don't know is it wasn't just the joys. It wasn't just the the high point that Jesus had experienced. If you look at the very beginning of the chapter, the whole reason why Jesus was there in this isolated area was because the news had just come to him that John the Baptist was killed. Herod had, uh, had his head taken off. Now, last week we talked about an encounter that Jesus had at the river with John the Baptist where he was baptized. Where the Spirit came down and descended on him like a dove. And and the heavens opened and God said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus uh, withdrew and they were sitting in a boat off the shore. And the crowds heard about this and the word spread. And then a multitude showed up. And then Jesus had compassion and he started healing those that were sick. And I'm sure he started teaching. And at the end of this day, a day that started with the challenge of losing John the Baptist, a day that culminated in thousands of people being fed and many people being healed, Jesus found himself at the top of a mountain alone so that he could spend time with his father. And I believe the the lesson holds true for us today as well. Whether you are going through the highs of life, you're on a mountaintop experience where life is good. You know, we all have those moments. Or maybe you're down in a valley. And maybe you, you recognize what the psalmist said. And he said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what it feels like right now. You're at a low point in your life. So whether it's the high or the low, the way that we get through that as followers of Christ is to spend time alone. With God. And let me give you just three very simple pieces of advice on how we spend time alone with God. And the first one is this that when you spend time alone with God, you need to be honest. Now, I know that I I, I should not have to say that here in a church, but I believe that if if sometimes I find myself preaching or uh, praying some pretentious prayers, praying for the other person, praying for everybody else, and sometimes I forget what my heart looks like. Sometimes I forget some of the thoughts that I'm having. And here's what I would encourage you, is when you have your time with God, when you're alone with Him, be honest. You know, God is all-knowing. You don't have to tell Him the truth. He knows the truth. The telling the truth part is for you. The telling the truth part is to help you get over it, not Jesus. Not God, not the Holy Spirit. They got this figured out. Be honest. Because what you'll find out is that as you're honest with God, it'll change your prayer life. And when it changes your prayer life, it'll change your life. Well, you know, you shouldn't just be honest with God. You should also be focused in this time. 
Now, um, I am sure that I'm not the only person, but just in case, have you ever um, spent some alone time with the Lord and found yourself praying and then all of a sudden found yourself daydreaming? Oh, okay, so I'm not, I'm not the only, whew, I was afraid I might say that and everyone just looking at me like, okay, pastor. Uh, you're there praying and then all of a sudden you're thinking about something else. And here's what I would encourage you is, don't run from that, run to it. Because wherever your mind has gone is probably something good to share with God. You know, because usually what we find ourselves daydreaming about is worrying about things. Usually what we find ourselves daydreaming about is trying to solve problems that we don't have a solution to. And there's no better person to share this information with than your Heavenly Father. There's no one that cares more about what you have to say and where your heart is than God. He loves you. He cares for you. He doesn't want you to hurt. He doesn't want you to be by yourself through this. He doesn't want you to have to travel through the valley alone. He doesn't want you to be on the mountaintop by yourself. So be honest with him and stay focused. And when you find your mind wandering, stay with that and bring that back to God. Because that's why you're there. That's why you're having that quiet time. That's why you are alone is to spend time with God. And I I promise you, God doesn't have an agenda. He wants to spend time with you. Now, parents, maybe you, you can appreciate this, but wouldn't it be nice if our kids didn't just call us when problems happen in their life? Wouldn't it be nice if they just called up? and Because this is what the conversation goes, you know, they start talking and say, hey, man, mom, dad, how's your weekend going? You know, is everything going wonderful? And what are we thinking in the back of our mind? What do you want? Yep. All right, so this is the way it works in our household. When uh, they just want to talk, they call mom. And when they say, hey, I need to talk to dad, guess what? There's a problem. Something's got to get fixed. You know, our Heavenly Father, He wants to hear about the good times, He wants to hear about the victories. But you know what? He also is willing to hear about your struggles, He's willing to be there with you. And he's willing to help you get through to the other side. So not only do we be honest, not only do we want to stay focused, but we want to sometimes just be still. Have you ever thought about in, in our today's culture, it's just go, 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 go? I mean, it just seems like it never ends. And that's why we need to have time alone. Think about what Jesus' life was just like. So he goes to get alone to probably mourn over John the Baptist, and the people just flock to him. They hear about Jesus. They know where he's at, and they're telling all their friends and family. And so now all of a sudden there's a multitude there. And so he spends the rest of the day ministering to them. He was a very busy man. And yet Jesus, the Son of God, in a living a life that was sinless, needed time alone with his father. And I promise you, every one of us here today, no matter how good we think we are or how good we actually are, we need to spend some time alone with our heavenly father. If we continue reading in Matthew chapter 14, in verse 24, it says this, 
But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. This is the boat that the disciples are in. Beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They were scared. And said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. You know, there's going to be times in your life where you're going to feel just like the disciples. That you're out, that God sent you on a mission, and you were faithful, and you're on that mission. And then it seems like everything in the world is against you. Your family's against you. Your job's against you. The people that you encounter at McDonald's in the drive-thru are against you. It doesn't matter. Everywhere you go, it seems like life is against you. But just like the disciples, if you'll just cry out, you'll find out that God is right there, right around the corner. And here's what I think he would like us to remember as he encountered the disciples in the boat on the water, and that's this. In the storms of our life, remember this, that God is bigger. In the storms that you're going to face, because undoubtedly all of us go through storms, God is bigger than anything that you're going to face. I'm here to tell you that God is bigger than the limitations. The limitations that you put on yourself and the limitations that other people put on you. You know, some of you were told all your life that you're too young and and there's no way that you should or could do that. And now uh, they're telling you that you're too old. You know what? You just need to relax and not worry about this anymore. But God is bigger than whatever limitations. God's bigger than if there's health issues in your life. God's bigger than if you have financial issues. And not only is he bigger than the limitations that are put upon you and that you put upon yourself, but he's also much bigger than the circumstances. Think about, this is God in the form of a man. He's walking on his own creation. Now, nobody's supposed to walk on the water. But when you created it, you can do things like that. Physics don't mean anything. And it's that same God that is bigger than the circumstances that you face right now. He's bigger than the relationships that are struggling in your life. He's bigger than those that you are spending hours praying for every week. He's bigger than the biggest circumstance that could hold you back. And he's much bigger than the obstacles that are in your way. You know, the Bible tells us that God holds the world in his hand. How much power does that God have? And how often do we not allow him to demonstrate his power in our life? You know, a few weeks ago I shared with you about Gideon and how that uh, Gideon... went and faced an army of hundreds of thousands strong with 300 men. Gideon started his life off in fear when the angel came and pronounced that he is a mighty man of valor. But you see, God was bigger than his fear. God was bigger than the obstacle of that army. 
God was bigger than the circumstances that they were in. And God was bigger than the limitations that we put on our lives. And let me show you in the Bible, as we read, continue in Matthew chapter 14, how that God was bigger than the limitations that Peter put on himself. In verse 28, it says, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. I don't know about you, but everything that Peter had been told all his life, everything that he understood as a fisherman was that you don't walk on the water. But when he saw his friend, when he saw the Son of God, when he saw Jesus walking on the water, and he recognized who it was, he said, if that's you, tell me to come out there. And Jesus did, and so he gets out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. In verse 30, he says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know, we can easily preach about what Peter didn't do. We could easily preach about the little faith Peter. But let me share something with you today for us here, and that's this. That anytime we step out on faith, anytime we step out on faith, there's going to be an adjustment in our life. You see, Peter had to change his way of thinking as he's walking on the water. First of all, he had to get out of the boat. That wasn't a natural reaction for a fisherman. Matter of fact, especially in a storm like that, it wasn't natural. But any time that we step out in faith, when God puts something in our heart, when God asks us to take action, it's going to take an adjustment in our life. You see, we want to stay in our comfort zone. We want to stay where we're safe. We want to stay where we're comfortable, no matter what. Even if it means being in bondage to the enemy. We're happy to stay there. Why? Because it's easy. Why? Because it's, it's something that we're used to. But when God calls us, and when we take that step of faith, I promise you, it's going to look something like what Peter experienced. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. What do we do? We do what Peter did, and we get out of the boat. We take action. You see, because as God lays these things on our heart, it's not. God wants you to benefit from this as much as he needs you to help somebody else. But he needs you to have faith. And you know, and the faith that we have is not in ourselves. It's not in our friends. The faith that we have is in God Almighty. Well, you know, as a church, we have stepped out in faith this year. And we are continuing to step out in faith. And so uh, one of the things that's coming up, as you know, in, in uh, June 18th, we are having Vacation Bible School. And so a couple of things about Vacation Bible School that you don't know about is this. Number one is um, here is the entire reason why Vacation Bible School was started. 
the, the lady who started it said this, that there wasn't enough of the Bible being taught in homes. Do you think that's still true today? The, the kids, when they started vacation Bible school, weren't getting enough of the Word of God. Now, that statement was made 140 years ago. 140 years ago, churches started holding the first vacation Bible school in New York City. And guess where it was held at? In a bar. So during the day when the bar was empty, that's where they held vacation Bible school. Here we are 140 years later. And some things that you may not realize, but um, there's millions of churches holding Vacation Bible School. But while there's over 2 million churches holding Vacation Bible School, what you may not know is that the number of churches that are doing Vacation Bible School are shrinking. There's one-third less churches holding Vacation Bible School than seven years ago, 2012. But what's amazing is just last year, 65,000 kids came to know the Lord through Vacation Bible School, through 2 million churches that were faithful. You know, we know that the Vacation Bible School week is tough. We know that it's going to take every amount of patience that God has given you. It's going to take every bit of energy that you have. But let me tell you why we do this. Right now, the youngest generation in the history that we know of is alive and there are vacation Bible school age right now. And here's what the statistics tell us, that right now they are on pace to only have one out of every ten saved. The most evangelistic tool that churches have for children is vacation Bible school. And yet, less churches are doing it. And in a time, instead of, because it used to be that this age was the, the most ripe generation. It was the, the, this is where if you could get them to vacation Bible school, that's where they're going to have an encounter with God. That's where they're going to have an encounter with Holy Scripture. That's where they're going to ask Jesus into their heart. But the reality is because less churches are doing it, less kids are coming. And when that happens, less are getting saved. You know, um, one of our purposes here is to transform Centralia with the name of Jesus Christ. And one way that we can do that is by reaching out to the kids. You know, historically here, we have had uh, an average of 45 kids come to our vacation Bible school. We are preparing to have 100 kids this year. And not only that, we are doing something radically different on June 23rd, which is a Sunday, is our family day. And here's what I can tell you, that we need your help. You know what? We already have over 40 volunteers that are going to be a part of Vacation Bible School. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that that's not enough. We need your help. If you haven't signed up to be a part of Vacation Bible School, let me just share with you a couple ways that you can be a part of this. Let me share with you a couple of ways that you can be a part of the most evangelistic tool that we have all year long for the children in Centralia. And it's this. Number one is, you know what? If you're afraid to get in the same room and the door closed with a couple of uh, preschool age kids, and I don't blame you because they, they can be a terror. But if, if you're afraid of that, you know what? We need people on a prayer team. Y'all know Miss Leona, right? 
you'll, they'll be back next week. Pastor Lee's been preaching at another church in May, but they're coming back. She is leading that prayer team. There's, we're going to do a prayer walk on Monday night before it starts. So um, on the 17th at 6 p.m., all you have to do is show up here and, and allow us, the, the ones that show up, to go and pray with the teachers. Pray over the classrooms. Pray over the fields where the kids are going to be. You know, all of us can do that. And then, you know, during the week, there's going to be a prayer team here every night that is going to be praying for the kids as vacation Bible school is going on. And you know what? They don't have to touch a child with their hands. You know, we're going to do something different in this uh, we want to have a welcoming team. Much as we have a first impressions team that are greeting you as you come through the doors, we want to do that same thing for our kids as they come in. And let them and their parents know that we value, that they chose. You know, because there's more than one vacation Bible school going on in Centralia. We praise the Lord for that. But we want the parents and the children to know that we are excited that they're here at our church. That we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And then on Sunday, June 23rd, Family Day, we are excited at the possibility that we could have. So on Easter Sunday, we had 182 on campus. We believe that we can have more than 182 on June 23rd. But when those 182 or 200 people show up, and then we want to have a family day where uh, they are out under pavilion. We want to uh, provide popcorn. We want to provide hot dogs. We want to provide um, just a time for the families to give them a reason to come to our church. We need help. We need your help. You know, uh, at the end of the service, uh, I'll be in the back, and um, there'll be sign-up sheets. You know, I hope that you'll just take a look at these and see something very easy for you to do on June 23rd. I love the fact that our church is so generous with, uh, there's many of you that, that spend 20 and 30 hours a week working for the church in many different ways. And so what we're looking for is on June 23rd to invest two hours helping. You know, in the last way that uh, I would challenge you to step out of the boat and do something that you've never done before is if you look inside your bulletin, you'll see this little card right here. All right, pull those out. Here's why we had 182 people at church on Easter Sunday. is because you guys invited Fran. All right, and you didn't know Fran. She's not a person. She's an acronym. And Fran stands for our friends, our relatives, our associates, and our neighbors. You invited your friends, relatives, associates, and your neighbors to church on Easter. And guess what? They came. We had 80 visitors on Easter Sunday. And so here's what I challenge you is, everyone has one of these in your bulletin. On your way out, on the same table that has the baby bottles, there's stacks of these. Take two, three, four, or five. Because you know what's easier than inviting your friends, relatives, associates, or neighbors to church? Is inviting their children to vacation Bible school. And all you've got to do is give this to their parents so that they can see exactly. And it tells them, here, they can go on and register now for vacation Bible school. They don't even have to register. If they'll show up on Monday, 
Anytime after 4.15, they'll get registered then. But you know what? For us to do that, you have to step out of the boat. You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to invite them. I'm sure there are many of us in here that have children and grandchildren that are not saved, and we know it. And, and we're doing everything we can to help them find Jesus. Wouldn't you like a little help from a local church that would reach out to them? You know what? We are the local church for some people that, that aren't able to reach their kids, aren't able to reach their grandchildren. And if we'll step out in faith and we'll just start asking our neighbors, if you see someone who has a child that's between the ages of kindergarten and sixth grade, give them one of these, invite them. You know what? And don't just invite one, invite everyone. Because we believe that God is going to use this as a time for us as a church to make a difference, for us as a church to reach out and change lives. And now let me tell you this, that when you get out of the boat, here's what's going to happen. You, just like Peter, are going to see the waves. You, just like Peter, are going to see the wind. You, just like Peter, are going to realize that, you know what? It's not that easy. Boy, it sounded good when I was sitting there in church and the Lord, I felt like he was speaking to me. But now it's Tuesday evening and all of a sudden, um, you know, I'm scared to go across the street and invite the neighbor's children. Here's the solution. Stay focused on God. See, God was the reason why you got out of the boat. And if you'll stay focused on God, he'll be the reason why you continue to be successful in your mission. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, um, but uh, Admiral Nimitz was put in, after Pearl Harbor was bombed, Admiral Nimitz was put in charge of the Pacific Fleet. And so uh, he was flown from Washington to Hawaii to take uh, command and when, when he was put in command, the first thing he did was have them give him a tour of all the damage. And so they did this. It was actually on Christmas of that year. They, they gave him a tour, and he, they showed him everything that had happened. And so as the tour was over, uh, one of the uh, other sailors on the boat asked the admiral, he says, you know, uh, what do you think? And Admiral Nimitz said this. He goes, either the Japanese made the three worst mistakes ever, or God's on our side. And the sailor said, well, I don't understand what you mean. He goes, well, let me tell you. First of all, they attacked on a Sunday. Do you realize if they would have attacked on a Monday that instead of losing 3,800, we probably would have lost 38,000? He said, not only that, but when they saw all of our ships in harbor lined up, they bombed all those ships. But what they didn't do was they didn't bomb our dry docks. Because if they would have bombed the dry docks, we would have had to take every one of those ships back to the coastal America. And instead, all we've got to do is pull them across the channel. And we'll have them repaired and ready for war before they would have gotten to the coastal United States. And he said the third thing was that just on the other side of this hill, five miles away, was all our fuel reserves. They could have, just one plane could have destroyed every one of those. He said either they made three incredible mistakes, or God was on our side. Now let me ask you this. When you get out of the boat, and it looks like everything's against you, when it looks like the enemy has attacked and they've won, 
when it looks like everything in your life is going wrong, when it looks like you know, there's no possible way that you're going to recover from this, you can either look and say, you know what, the enemy had a victory. Or you can look at it and realize, you know what, that God is on your side. And no matter how big the wind is, no matter how hard the waves hit, no matter how much water gets into your boat or it gets into your ears, the same God that challenged you to step out in faith is the same God that will deliver you. And when you lack faith and when you, when you start looking at the surroundings and you forget why you got out of the boat, when you forget why you volunteered to serve for VBS, when you forget why and you start sinking and you cry out for help, guess what? Guess who's going to be reaching down for you? That's right. God himself, the same one who called you, who challenged you, who put this purpose in your heart, is the same one that's going to be there to rescue you. As we walk through these five different encounters, we have one verse that we keep pointing back to, and it's John chapter 20, verse 31. And it says this, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why we're doing VBS. That's why, as a church, we've gone all in. You are getting the lessons that the children will receive. This was Thursday night's lesson. On Thursday night, June 20th, the children are going to hear about Peter's encounter with Jesus on the water. The whole reason why we do this, the reason why we come here on Sunday mornings, the reason why the word of God was written and preserved for us is so that we could know that Jesus really was the Son of God. Now, do you find it amazing that after Jesus gets into the boat with the disciples and the wind ceases, that it's at that point that his disciples, <coughs> the disciples who saw him feed 5,000, who helped take the baskets and give it to the multitude, the same disciples who saw him heal everybody that was brought to him, those same disciples said, truly, now we understand you are the Son of God. And let me ask you this. What is it going to take to happen in your life for you to realize that truly it is God himself who's reaching out? It's God himself who's put a calling on your life. It's God himself who no matter what your circumstances, no matter what your limitations, no matter what the obstacles are, it's God himself who's allowed that to happen, and who is going to be glorified through that if you allow him. You know, but a lot of, think about it this way. Only one disciple got out of the boat. And I tell you, that may be the same statistics that hold true for the church. You know, God has a calling on every one of our lives. He has a purpose for every one of us. How many of us ever take that step of faith? How many of us get ourselves out of the comfort zone? How many of us put ourselves in such a position that that if God doesn't save us, 
we're in trouble. It's not 100%. Because a lot of us quit on God. I stand before you as somebody who did that 30 years ago. Quit on God and ran to the military. But you know what? While I was in the military, I, I didn't forget what God had called. And when I was sinking, I reached up and I said, save me. And that same God who called me, who had sent me to Bible college, who had had something prepared for my life, he reached down and he pulled me out of that predicament that I put myself in. And then he used that tool of the military to allow me to become a missionary for 28 years. And I'm here to tell you that no matter where you're at in your walk with the Lord, no matter if you gave up on God years ago, he has never given up on you. If you've given up on God's plan for your life, I'm telling you that God himself will still use you. He will still use you no matter what you've done. There's not a sin that you can do that can convince God to let go, to say no when you cry out for help. This is the same God who sent his only begotten son do you know why the Bible tells us that way? Now, many of you aren't going to understand this. But he wanted to, us to understand, this is my only son. I didn't have ten sons, and I gave you one. Now, most parents would say, look, I'm not even going to give you one. But God said, I gave the only one. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.